a lot of times like it's not going to be perfect. And I think people get too caught up in that. They're like, how can you do that? Not every money is going to be allocated to what you want to like. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got impact that's being now projected way further than what it would if, you know, there's some amazing nonprofits there, but we, I feel like we can do, I know we can do so much more with strategic partnerships, uh, for-profit organizations where you are normalizing the impact for good to be at the forefront of, you know, the decisions that you're making as a company. Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today we welcome Jackson Canfield on. And Jackson, just a little, I'm just getting to know you, but I think some of our listeners are already going to know you. Can you fill us in a little bit about what you do? Because I'm still learning that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me, by the way. So, yeah, I basically around town uh, am the island guy. So, I represent a private island resort located in the British Virgin Islands right off the main island of Tortola. And so I uh, have the opportunity to represent the uh, sales and, and reservations aspect of it, which has uh, created some awesome opportunities for networking. And, and the impact that we're doing on this property is, is the reason why I'm just grateful to be a part of it and excited to uh, you know share more and, and see how it coincides with the ultimate shift because that's the story behind it too. Awesome. So and this is called the Aerial? Is that, am I pronouncing Correct. that? Correct. Right? Yeah, the Aerial. The Aerial, the Aerial Recovery Group. So Aerial Recovery Group, uh, long story short, is one of our six uh, entities uh, within the Aerial Company Group. So Aerial is the overarching brand, and then we have six within. One of those is Aerial Recovery Group, which is our disaster relief management firm. And so the island itself, the Aerial BVI, is technically then one of six. Um, so we have a Real estate, which is aerial properties, and then aerial produced, which is our you know, obviously videography team. And then we have a G Force, which is Force for Good uh, Entrepreneurial Mastermind Community and nonprofit, aerial global community. And so it's uh, it's pretty cool to be expanding so many different ventures. So, how did you end up there? You started out, you were born and raised in Minneapolis, is that right? Correct. And so then you went to Bethel. Mm-hmm. And what did you go, what did you want to graduate in or what did you study? What was your major? Yeah, so that's a whole path in and of itself. So my why, you know, why I find myself here and just uh, trying to be the best I can be is through my grandfather, who was a radiologist, incredibly successful man, but entrepreneurial in his own right. Uh, actually, you were talking about horses with me earlier. He uh, bought a 220-acre horse ranch up in northern Minnesota, so I spent my summers growing up. Uh, riding horses and just being very blessed in that capacity. And so, quarter horses, um, quarter horses, yeah, really? quarter horse nice. yeah. And nice. so funny enough, my sister actually has now bought the property after my grandfather passed. And so she and my brother-in-law live up there now. Um, but born and raised Minneapolis. And so went to Bethel actually to, uh, I was thinking medicine for my grandfather, which then it was like, I reached uh, organic chemistry and realized maybe that wasn't the route route for me. And uh, 
led to then kinesiology, exercise science, halfway through, thought I was going to be a physical therapist and started looking at uh, grad school. The the ticket price for that was a little too high. And so it's like, man, I was entering my senior year wondering what the heck I was going to be doing. And so I started networking really hard and looking at, you know, what I was good at, relationships, people started turning into medical sales. So I spent the last three years uh, after college in orthopedic medical sales for a company called Smith & Nephew Orthopedics and focused on trauma and extremities and uh, had an awesome opportunity meeting some incredibly smart and uh, brilliant surgeons, uh, specifically, obviously, Minneapolis being a hub for that. And so it was cool, man. 22 years old, getting in the OR, uh, kids, adults, uh, elderly on the table and having to, to come up with strategies and ideas to, to help the surgeon along is pretty cool. What what was your biggest takeaway from that? When you look at life and, and then looking at life on the surgery table, uh, the biggest takeaway, great question, would be uh, you have to face your fears at some point in life. And I remember that because as cool as it is to say now that you know being twenty two and being into that position, I remember specifically you know after about three four months they had you then step into the OR and, and take over a case. And uh, so basically the surgeons. Uh, can make the incision, they'll bring down to the bone, um, you know, reduce the fracture. Let's say it's an ankle fracture, for example, but the plates and the screws that they are implementing uh, and putting into the patient are all yours and your responsibility to know no way. Uh, the ins and outs, uh, which screws to use, which not to use. And so they obviously have had their training too, but they rely on you to, to assist in making sure that they're making the right decisions in, in regards to the different plates and screws and rods and stuff like that. So I just remember overcoming fear as in standing outside the OR, just shaking because, you know, it was my first kid patient. And I was like, if, if they turn to me and I don't know what the answer is, like, you know, I, I don't know wow. what's going to happen. Like, I don't know if, you know, so it's just having confidence, working hard to learn, taking responsibility for, for the situation. And so, um, but also willing to be able to say, I don't know, too. That was a huge learning curve and be okay with that. So, wow, that's all. That's a lot of pressure <laughs> at that age. I would think. I mean, you're dealing with humans. Yeah, yeah. It was special because how many people get that opportunity, and then obviously you make mistakes, and there's grace for it. But there's also like the times where you have successes and you do the right things, and those surgeons are grateful for you. That's there's really no other better feeling to have. Yeah. So you from there you you moved here. Correct. So, and, and by here meaning Nashville. Nashville, correct. So, I had a short stint. It's coming on about three years. And long story short, I had an opportunity. I got reached out to by a uh, Bachelorette TV show. And, yeah, I was uh, supposed to ask you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure you mentioned that. But uh, <laughs> so, not something I thought was uh, in my cards. Um, I have two sisters, though, and they were all for it. I basically got a random phone call on the way home from work that said, you know, you've, some, you've been. Uh, somebody has anonymous, anonymously sent an application for you, and so it's something that you're interested in. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I was like, What's your thoughts at that point? Uh, basically, well, I'm a, I'm a man of faith, so I've been praying for a while of like what that would look like. I'm trying to felt like I was supposed to do something else and move, and so like, oh my gosh, this is it! Like this is the answer to prayer. Like I'm supposed to, you know, try the show, see what happens, and so. For the next three months, um, went back and forth from LA a few times and went through the whole interview process and signed the dotted line, the big 30 page contract they give you. And so I was ready to make that move. I met with my uh, 
manager at the time, told him I'm going to be doing this. And so I stepped away from my role, you know, successful role at the 24 and had everything's lined up. And a couple of days prior to flying out there, they called and said they recasted me because they had picked a different girl. And, and so then I was back to zero, back to square one. So then wow. COVID hit. Um, so basically instead of, you know, landing a new job super quick, I was literally back in with my parents, like just hot <laughs> living high, you know, downtown Minneapolis, 24 back in my basement, like, you know, in my old room. And so the ultimate shift of like humility too, of like, all right, you know, where do we go from here? How do we, uh, do I trust the process enough to really now seek what I really want to do in life? Or do I just get a, you know, any old job. So it's definitely a cool stage and opportunity. I just started reading like so many books and I almost started working for different organizations and uh, things that I was passionate about and uh, got connected to Ariel through some family, heard about what they were doing, came down to Nashville, met with Brittany Turner, the founder uh, for about an hour. And uh, she's telling me about what they were doing, the, the big picture, 40, 50 year goals that they were having as an organization using for profit as a catalyst for nonprofit initiatives. And by the end of that hour, I basically was like, you don't even have to pay me. Like, I would love it. She's <laughs> like legit. Yeah. She, yeah, she remembered that. And I was like, you know, I just want to be a part of this. And so I had whole intentions of getting another job because the role that she had kind of on the top of her mind was for her newer company. So I was like, yeah, I'm happy to work two jobs and make it happen. And so, uh, which then a couple months later turned into this island opportunity sales role. So here we are. So how different do you think your life would be had you been cast on that show? Oh my gosh. Uh, like, do you ever think about that and think back, like, you know, whether it was be different in a good or a bad way? I do. I do. Because it's interesting. I've gotten connected to a fair amount of individuals now, Abby's brother being one of them. And, you know, asking them questions, their feedback. And so it's really a 50-50 shot. And so you see the people that have, you know, expanded their platforms because of it. Um, I think knowing myself personally, I would love the opportunity to use it for, you know, uh, good and not just personal gain, but like they'll see the people that were good human beings, but that just got reputation shattered and things like that. So um, it's fun to brainstorm and let your mind go different places, but it's been really cool to see how each moment led to here. Like I would not be here right now if I didn't say yes, you know, driving nine o'clock after surgery. I remember on the way home and to them saying, are you interested in, you know, this process and me saying yes. And, you know, a couple of years later now we're here. So no regrets. No regrets. No. So talk, let's talk about Ariel a little bit and why that's why you would be willing to work there for free. Hmm. I'm not saying that you would for a lifetime, but I'm saying like what at that moment, can you tell us a little bit about, about the island? What what's the mission of the island? And Abby said something really interesting. She said, ask him how how we could have our own natural aerial, meaning how do you you know you have an island there that you're working with hmm. and you're bringing people in and, and whatever that mission is, which I'm, I'm interested in more. Hmm. Is there a way of doing something similar within a group of people to try to better a group of people completely remote of that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great question. So the aerial itself, the reason why I was able 
or wanted to work for Aerial for free is a lot of what we even just talked about right off the air here of recognizing hype versus true pursuit of, of change. And so sitting down with Brittany at that time, 32 year old uh, woman who, you know, uh, had done so much a couple of years prior was six fastest growing woman owned company owner in the world, Forbes. Um, I know you have some Forbes um, accolades as well. And so being able to sit in someone's presence like that, hear the goals and the visions that she was wanting to do and have them be directly have, have them be things that I was already passionate about um, in a nonprofit sector, but again, now translated to a for-profit sector because I had never seen anything like that before. And so to be able to do that at such a high level, I was, I just remember thinking in my head, like, you will not have this opportunity with someone like this, like maybe ever. So in, in that moment, it was, that was an easy yes to just say, you know, where do you want your life to go? Um, all these things that you've been wanting to do, like impact wise, good. This is, this doesn't just happen. You don't just sit, you know, we're having tacos, like we're at uh, bar taco. And so that propelled it, but now translating to the island itself, Brittany's vision for the island is sincerely to have a location where world leaders can come to solve these world issues. And so reason being is she received a lot of mentorship from Richard Branson, uh, spent a lot of money to have that. Um, but was interested to find how how much Necker Island was a catalyst for his business opportunities. So uh, for Virgin, wanted to expand it. If he saw people that he wanted to do business with, you know, bring them to Necker, uh, have them enjoy a four or five night experience. And by the end of it, you know, more often than not, you're going to have deals in place, partnerships in place, uh, which is awesome, very strategic. And so to be able then to, in her mind, take that and now put it in a place of impact, positive change, have the summits, have the retreats, have the company groups there, the Chick-fil-A's, the Tony Robbins, the, you know, I'm not thinking of, uh, just these big organizations, have them centralized in a place that is focused around how we use our organizations for good. Can you imagine the impact that that could make? Um, so, and then to be able to then dive deep, because that's a lot of hype in and of itself, it sounds pretty cute, but to see her six organizations now, companies now, um, and the projects that we've been able to do are sincerely focused on uh, the development of that good translated to like nations specifically. So there's a reason why we're in the British Virgin Islands. There's a reason why we're in the Caribbean. There's a reason why that while she was in Nashville was focusing on the east side, some of the rougher areas in town, developing those, expanding those, using our media production company, using our property uh, real estate development company to Re, revamp, regrow, and uh, hopefully make for the better these communities. So it's, it's not just about making money. It's about making a bigger impact. Oh, being as close as I am to her and seeing the choices that she makes in every day, knowing that at 33, she could be living on a beach for the rest of her life, you know, not taking care in the world. Uh, instead, she's going on the missions that we have in our disaster relief uh, management firm to St. Vincent, the island of St. Vincent that just had a, a volcano and she like literally on a boat, she's sending out to our team that the things erupting in the background and she's on her way there right now. So wow. seeing that day-to-day choices that she makes, I know for a fact that it's not about the money. Um, and again, that's that's personal interaction. And so it's so easy to, to go behind. It's so easy to run after with. And it just makes you want to bring everyone else in too. Right. But it, it says a lot about her and, and the company as a whole, too, because 
there's a lot of nonprofits that want to operate but can't operate mm-hmm. because there is a part that has to be about it. You have to be smart in a way to understand that those take money. So what she's doing here and what you guys are doing as far as you're creating the money, but then you're just utilizing it in mm-hmm. a really good way. Yeah. And I think too, that a lot of times, like it's not going to be perfect. And I think people get too caught up in that. They're like, how can you do that? Not every money is going to be allocated to what you want it to. Like, yeah. But at the same time, you've got impact that's being now projected way further than what it would if, you know, there's some amazing nonprofits there, but we, I feel like we can do, I know we can do so much more with strategic partnerships, uh, for-profit organizations where you are normalizing the impact for good to be at the forefront of, you know, the decisions that you're making as a company and not just be some tagline, give back opportunity, but literally be the core foundation, you know, mission statement, vision statement, whatever. Okay. Let's see it. Let's let, don't yeah. just talk about it, be about it. So, you know, we want to make the world a better place. We'll be about it. So, yeah. And then, then your job here is, well, you're probably playing many roles, but, but part of this is scheduling the groups and teams to go to the island and, basically accommodate them? Correct. So really it's the initial outreach as well. Um, so we just so opened. trying to get people. Yeah, absolutely. So we just started off taking bookings in January, 2021. Um, so my role, even before that, a few months I was there too, is with making those connections, meeting the Justin Bass of the world and Daddy Saturday, you know, talking about where they want to see their organizations and how to utilize possibly the island for a place to gather for, Growing their brand, growing their organization. Again, using Justin as an example, ending fatherlessness. Okay, that's a really awesome opportunity. Okay, how, how can we accelerate that to uh, the greatest capability? Well, you know, get your top 10 individuals. You know, maybe you can't get them in Nashville, but you could definitely more entice them to come and hang out at a private island, all exclusive, uh, all inclusive and exclusive. So it's, uh, it's a tool. It's a yeah. tool. It's and so, unfortunately, you know, you have a lot of negative connotations with a property as such, and so we're on a mission to to make sure that we are propelling what we're doing, how we're doing it, in a way that people build rapport, and pe- people build trust with us. That this is what we're doing, and, and we're not going to be ashamed about it. Let's touch on because I think you and again, Paul Bear, we talked a little bit about height versus reality, mm-hmm. and. What what's your what is your take on that? Meaning, for me, it's I feel like like we get caught up. The world gets caught up a lot in hype versus just the actual facts. Or and where do you see that being a part of a how how does that fit into in a, in a brand into a business? Whether you're a consultant, a speaker, or whether you're a, a brick and mortar company, and and how do you think that that should be? How do you think businesses should navigate that? Whether again, whether it's a personal brand or a business, where is height? Where do you see height being used too much? And how do you, how do you try? To, what do you think should be done about about that, or how can you better navigate that? Absolutely, I, I think that's a really twisted question. No, no, no. It's, it starts it starts down to the person before you have a business. You have people, um, and so I think unfortunately we live in an age now where. Uh, grace is very hard to give, and so to to realize that. What do you mean by that? Grace is very hard. I mean, we live in a cancel culture uh, where mm-hmm. if it's not literally perfect, you know, then it's deemed as completely invalid. 
or I um, doesn't agree with your, your agenda. Exactly, exactly. So any business owner would know this, that you're going to have uh, times that are awesome and times that are tough. And the times that are tough, you're fighting like heck to you know bring your brand back, to build trust with your clients. And so hype at the same time is, if it's not rooted in, if the cause is not worthy enough, hype is irrelevant. So if you have all these guys that are trying to promote their brands or guys or gals that at the end of the day, it's you really know and you can just sense that it's not about helping people. It's about themselves. And, uh, but if you're, if you're clear and authentic and open book about how you are using your platform, how you're using your business, how you're using your product, then you, then you do have the ability to, uh, gain some more grace with your your audience uh, because that is completely transparent. So the hype, you know, is seen and appreciated more when you are completely transparent about the things that you're doing and the reason why you're doing it. So, so what do you think will happen with cancer culture and the future? <sighs> I mean, I think it's it's clear. Everyone says, "Oh, we're gonna you know become." more divided, um, which is totally true. Totally true. I think that cancel culture, you're going to see that more than anything in families. You're going to see that. I think, I mean, talk about the political realm this last few months. It was, is more detrimental. I feel like in kids and parents and family members than, you know, even out in, in public, that was the stuff that really hurt people was, you know, the division that was causing the families. So I think it's incredibly dangerous. I think that I mean, just look in the mirror. Like all of us can say where we are not perfect. And if we don't know ourselves well enough or if our self-awareness is so lacking that we can't see the faults in ourselves, you know, how do we expect to even interact with the world and build good relationships? It's impossible. So that would be, that'd be right, right now in my mind, the biggest danger for cancel culture. Do you think like, I, I sometimes struggle with this, like meaning we, we have so much information right now everywhere. I mean, we can gain information about whatever it is you want to know. If, if I don't know how to do a membrane roofing, I can go to freaking YouTube and Google it. And someone's going to show me how to do it. With all of that information, is you feel like that's more detrimental to, to the generation that we currently have, the younger generation? Maybe it's tough, I think, sometimes where we have all this information. So are we actually making the world better with it? Or are we, you know, making it worse with cancel culture and with some of the things as, as people may call woke or people may call different, have different names for it that almost as a self justification said, this is what's right for the world. But yet it's, how do you step aside from that? Look at it from, from a different perspective and say, well, where do we start to turn this? Is there such a thing or are we past that stage? We make a great point. You know, the more access you have to information, the more opportunities that you are creating. But at the same time, the more opportunities you create, you also have the vice of complacency because then you always think there's another option around. So again, for roofing, you're saying you're having a tough time getting guys to stay on uh, jobs um, outside of your core dudes. Like right. it's getting too new, hot. New workers. New, yeah. like, new it's workers. It's too hard work. It's too hot. It's not traveling isn't. It's not comfortable. Exactly. Is the word Exactly. So you have, you know, access to Google now where all they have to do is quick search jobs. And, you know, 10 years ago, you weren't able to do that or 15 where they always think there's a better option 
in front of them. Oh, I, I don't have to do this hard work because, uh, you know, I can just Google something and have it figured out. So that creates complacency. So you're right. Is, is it better to not be aware of the possibilities and work through and have persistence on what's in front of you or, you know, having the options at your fingertips? Again, I think it comes back to knowing yourself, knowing your tendencies. I think people are different um, based on their circumstances or where they grew up. You know, you obviously have a very unique story and, and I think ours are similar in a way of, you know, I, I grew up uh, to be honest, family was successful. Uh, we went through a financial crisis when I was 15. My dad lost his entire business and um, has been uh, an uphill battle for me financially ever since. So that has limited my opportunities, but it's also created more persistence and um, endurance in what I'm doing. And so I think it's knowing yourself, knowing your situation. If, if you're a person that has always been had something handed to you, um, that's, you got to know that it's going to be a lot tougher for you to stick with something because you always think that there's somebody or someone or something that's going to give you, you know, what you want. So, um, it's got to start with knowing yourself and then seeing how, how you interact with the situation they have in front of you, whether a job or relationship or whatever. It's good. What, what do you do to basically push yourself to, to, what are some strategies? You said you read a lot. What are, what are, what's your favorite books, for example? Uh, so two favorite books, uh, Intentional Living by John Maxwell. It's really distinguishes the, uh, basis between significance and success. You know, how to live a significant life versus just a successful life. And then there's a book by Bishop T.D. Jakes called Crushing. And so it basically is a lot of his personal story and how we are meant to actually be crushed. Uh, it uses the great uh, example of like grapes and the process of, of turning into wine. And so we have to be crushed in order to produce the most pure form of our purpose. And so, yeah, you talk to any successful entrepreneur or anybody, there's just read, just, you know, yeah, the internet is a great place of access, but it's also filtered in a lot of ways that are you know, fake news, whatever you want to call it. So researching authors that have a great rapport built throughout their lifetime and then just willing to you know, get humbled by some brilliant minds is, I don't know, the best way to learn. The moment you realize you don't know anything is the moment you can start. So so if you got John Maxwell and his team down on the island, you were able to be there, what would you ask? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. And I have a fun story because that almost might happen here uh, really? in the next couple months. Uh, so almost might happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'll give you the backstory. Give you the backstory. So, so when I was uh, when I was living back in my parents' basement, I was like, I want to work with John Maxwell. I just finished that book, and uh, so I strategically got his longtime assistant's like email from a buddy of mine that I knew he did an event that, and so um, emailed this long thing like pages of. Uh, why I felt like I was pages. Oh yeah. It was, it was really long. <laughs> and, uh, so in his book, intentional living, he talks about how he wanted to become the most successful pastor in the United States. So he reached out to the top 10 pastors and asked for 30. John Maxwell was a pastor. He was before. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Before he was a speaker. And so he offered 30 minutes of their time. So he'd pay him a hundred bucks for 30 minutes of their time. And by that, at that point in time, that was a lot of money. So I was like, yeah, genius. My idea. Uh, so I offered 
I had no job at this point, but I offered a thousand dollars for 30 minutes of his time and went through his Linda's assistant to ask him that. And so, um, I heard back from him and he was like, you should sign up for the John Maxwell team, which I did. So technically I didn't sign for the John Maxwell team. Um, but COVID hit. And so obviously nobody was traveling and the world went crazy. So long story short, uh, Justin, um, that, uh, works for, um, Forefront Publishing. And so their president, I just met with a couple weeks ago, just introducing him. They have published numerous amounts of John's books, uh, Dr. Maxwell's. And so again, this is literally a year ago. I sent that letter request and now, um, I met with Jonathan, their president, and he this week is having a meeting with Dr. Maxwell. And he's like, yeah, we'd love to you know, pitch the island to him and see what he thinks. And, you know, we'll get a meeting you're going. And so it's it's been crazy you know okay but back to your original question john maxwell i would i would honestly i just love asking okay you're sitting in my shoes i'm 26 years old um you know no family at this point i'm trying to grow um as a person of impact you know what would you what would you tell me if you're you're me right now sitting in my shoes and you are who you are so it's and like you're saying it's not a hype thing like just tell me what i need to know and Let's get to it. So, that's, what are you thinking to say? Um, so his he's always said in the content that I've watched him of that the number one piece of advice that you never give somebody is to simply be consistent. And so I think it would be probably something along those lines, um, which is something that every one of us can get better at. And so building that routine, building that habitual, yeah, daily daily practice that. Uh, sets you up for success every day and some weeks I crush it and some weeks I'm terrible at it so <laughs> we're getting yeah, that's human nature right? yeah so if, if you stay consistent at what you're doing with Ariel where do you see yourself in 20 years that's a great question because before Brittany hired me on one of her life changing practices that, that really caused her to propel in what she was doing and what she asked me to do before hiring on was writing her eulogy and so um, she preaches that, and, and so before she said, "Before I can hire you, I need you to write your eulogy." And so, um, you know, what what is what is everyone going to say when you go? What are the accomplishments that you're going to have? And to get even more detailed about those things. And so, uh, what I wrote in there was really talking about in 20 years, or I guess whatever point in time that would be. Uh, I would love to be. You think you're only going to make it 20 more years? No, I mean, hey, we make it the 20 <laughs> greatest years of all time. <laughs> so. But, uh, but hey, who knows the world can be a crazy place. <laughs> um, but to, I love connecting. I love, and again, that's maybe a cliche term, but like seeing where people can take their gifts and extend them forward. So I would love to be in a position where I'm doing that at, at a macro level um, with large organizations, whether it's through the island or uh, with Ariel or, or somewhere else to just um, be in that position where I could say, hey, your organization is incredible for this, this, and this reason. I want to introduce you to the organization that's great in this, this, and this reason to how these two can get connected and wow. uh, bring value together. So that would that would be awesome for me. That's a very very selfless agenda. It's it'd be so much fun, you know. You see people that are doing some awesome things. A lot of times, it's just like, hey, you know, you could be doing so much more if you partnered with this person or um, just. Right. We're willing to say, hey, take me out of it and uh, let's actually try to accomplish what we set out to do in the first place. Well, I think it was Zig Ziglar who said that he said something to the extent that if you help everyone else get what they want, then you'll get what you want. Mm-hmm. 
So it worked out for him, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Don't see why it wouldn't work out for you. So if somebody, if Brittany said, you know what, Jackson, I want you to go down to the island and I'm going to invite the world leaders to hear you talk for five minutes. What do you think the world needs to hear? Humility. I think that humility, Andrew Murray just wrote a book and I wrote just, it was in like 1860, um, but titled Humility. And I think that the world needs to hear that if we can't humble ourselves or understand, again, the faults that we have um, when we look in the mirror, it's going to be incredibly difficult to interact um, and build good relationships and successful relationships, whether in your personal life, business life. You know, when you give value to someone, oftentimes they'll give it back. And so I would love an opportunity just to say that because, you know, I'm from Minneapolis. I mean, talk about a craziness of, of life that's gone on in the last few years there. Um, funny enough, so uh, my best friend, one of my best friends from college uh, was actually next door neighbors with George Floyd. Um, so when all that was going on. Um, while that was going on? Yeah, yeah. So okay. we had, uh, um, we all went to Bethel. And so we had had a Bible study <clears throat> at my friend Cameron's house. Um about two years, every Thursday night, seven o'clock, um, at his uh, home in St. Louis Park. And so, um, when that event had occurred, we remember, I remember showing up and he's like, guys, you know, George was my neighbor. And so like Chris, he, he actually knew him. Yeah. Yeah. Interacted. Um, I don't think they were like very close, but just interacted from a neighbor uh, standpoint. And so George actually, uh, lived with, Two other individuals, um, one of them, which was his best friend, was named Alvin. And so, and then Alvin's fiance um, lived with them. And so, what was crazy is that we actually ended up then uh, building a relationship with Alvin. And so, as literally Minneapolis is burning, we actually invited my you know, eight white dudes, mid 20s, invited Alvin, uh, African American, 55 year old, to come and just hang out with us and just spend time with us and to be able to share what was. He was going through and, um, you know, his interactions with George and their friendship and relationship. And it was uh, a pretty surreal opportunity. And again, being a man of faith, we went to the word a lot and we pray with him. And, um, it was uh, pretty surreal. So, again, as the world is responding to this one event, you know, having the humility of, all right, God, or, or like, help me to be present in this moment and understand the magnitude of of you know what lessons could be learned through this encounter so yeah that's that's how i would say why why do you think so many people struggle with humility like is it the is this is it an identity crisis of people don't want to expose who they really are is it fearing you know they won't be accepted for who they are uh why do you think so many people are afraid to go down that road and whether whether it's it could be corporate leaders, it could be people who are running countries. It, you know, we don't see any kind of humility in our American leadership whatsoever. Yeah, uh, both sides of the party. I don't care who you're voting for. Both sides of the party, it's it's all an agenda bias driven, just a chaotic mess. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, 
whether you look at someone that's that's running for Congress or a local seat or a county seat even, to a guy who's running a local business to you or me on the street, why is it that you think that humanity struggles with just being real? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, again, you know, my belief system is that the moment you expose yourself, you see how flawed we really are at the root. And people don't know how to handle that. People, yeah, it's it comes to your crossroads, a choice when you are vulnerable with someone, you know, um, you open up, you're transparent, you either find, you know, acceptability or you find, you know, judgment. And so, unfortunately, when people have been vulnerable, uh, too oftentimes we we judge them instead of try to be in the, the, the ring with them and to walk things through with them. So um, it's just think a perpetual buildup of fear predicated on too many people uh, thinking it's a good idea to judge one another instead of actually seek relationships. So um, that's been obviously years and years of, and you can look at both political parties and rings. What's you, you can literally see whether you're watching Fox News or CNN that every decision that, that these individuals make now are predicated on not, you know, exposing too much or not like offending someone because literally it's just a, uh, just whatever fits in there. Yeah. It's the ring of, you know, who's going to get blasted by who is the right going to get blasted for this or left going to get blasted for that. So, uh, everyone says they want to work together, but, um, in order to work together, you have to actually be willing to sit with somebody in their vulnerability and sit with somebody when it's uncomfortable and, uh, have the strength to respond in, in a, yeah, a collaborative sort of way, but that's just unfortunately becoming less and less of a uh, normal thing. I'm an optimistic uh, optimist. I guess you would say. I always tend to think that we're gonna we're gonna change it before it gets too late. But mm-hmm. then history always repeats itself too. So mm-hmm. I'm caught somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said. Twenty years might be even <laughs> too long to live. <laughs> yeah, we might be. Fighting with sticks and stones away. I mean, I forget who said it. Uh, one of the founders of the atomic bomb said that, uh, you know, and you can look at it this different. I think we, I think we have already fought World War Three. Hmm. But he said World War Three will be fought after World. He said the war after World War Three will be fought with sticks and stones. Hmm. And his idea was that you know World War Three. Or the next world war will be fought with atomic bombs, and then we're just going to obliterate everything we ever worked for, and then we're going to be back to sticks and stones. Wow. And you know, honestly, you can say he's wrong. Yeah. Uh, we have trigger happy uh, politicians, you know, threatening countries with nuclear bombs for these sake. I mean, you know, you, you can't think about just for anyone who doesn't understand the. Uh, Kind of the damage that would do. Go back and read about. Uh, go back and just watch World War Two and Cutter, or, yeah. any, or anything. You know that that same changes your perspective of war and how many people it affects and lives are damaged by. It. So, oh yeah, I mean, I think the psychological war is already World War Three is already happening. I mean, suicide rates from social media and yeah. uh, the internet. And gosh, if you think it's going to be, you know, rifles and machine guns, it's not. It's already happening before our very eyes. So. Um, but you can be the change, you know, like you yeah. said, optimism, like all you have to do is it's one person at a time. Um, so it's, uh, 
my favorite favorite quote is from a man named Francis Chan. Um, he said that our deepest fear should not be failure, but succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And so it's, uh, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Just don't be, be afraid of, you know, things that aren't worthy of pursuing. So. That's good. So obviously this podcast is called The Ultimate Ship. If you think back to your life, can you give us an example of when you felt like, and you may have already kind of talked about this, but like, can you think back to your life and know and remember of an ultimate ship that changed the complete course of your life? I can think of two in particular. If you know the Enneagram at all or anybody out there that does, like I'm a, I'm a two wing three, so I'm a helper, like I'm a feeler uh, guy. And so these, these two points in my life um, shifted perspective in me and, and one of which was I was 14 and my first grandparent passed away. It was my grandmother, my mom's mom. Um, I just remember that was a pain that I felt and regret for not appreciating her as how much she appreciated me. And so that definitely set a new stage for how I felt I needed to love people around me, especially family and loved ones. And then my second was a relationship um, end of college that uh, and I know most people can relate to this too, of something that was unexpected, thought it was, uh, you know, just a heartbreak that, uh, again, set the stone um, and the stage for, okay, who am I? Where am I going? Why have I, why have I been doing the things that I've been doing? Is it for someone else or is it really for me? Um, which then helped me then sit down, write my goals of, all right, who do I want to be? What are the goals I have for myself? And um, learn about myself enough to, make those happen. So, um, again, it's, uh, it's been an awesome road since then. And, um, don't regret that, uh, that pain. So if there's anyone out there that, you know, hasn't gone through something tough, it's, it's not always a bad thing. So. So that was one. What was the other ship? You said you had two. Yeah. So that's, uh, that moment when I lost my grandmother at 14 and then later I was 22 when a relationship ended that was important to me. So it was those two moments in time that, that really were uh, pivotal. So what did what did the relationship that ended that meant a lot to you, what did that teach you? What did you walk away from with that? Uh, I walked away seeing how much I was doing life for other people and not myself. How much of, you know, I was, I was always a pretty good kid, goody two-shoes, was uh, stayed out of trouble. Um, but when I really self-evaluated and, uh, look back, it was only for, uh, not only, but like majority of it for just for self or, uh, affirmation from other people. Uh, there was no pursuit of what the reasons for making those decisions were. Okay. It was, I was, pers- for example, I could have been pursuing, uh, you know, work or, uh, cause or this and that. It was mostly just to, uh, appease the, the people around me. So um, recognizing that when that uh, life support was gone uh, and that affirmation uh, source was gone, all right, then what? You know, what do you do? And so that was that was the biggest shift for me. And it's enlightening. It just definitely uh, sets you on a new path of, you know, actually getting some stuff done. So. And freedom. Yeah, 100%. Well, cool, man. I, I'm going to... I'll take up more of your time, but I I just want to acknowledge you for your vulnerability for coming on. I mean, you and I two hours ago didn't know each other and never met. 
and you've been completely transparent and vulnerable with me and as well as with all of our listeners. So uh, I think that's a that's a pretty unique and rare quality to have. So I respect you tremendously for it. If people want to, you know, find you, follow you, and kind of get on the mission, your mission with you, how do they find you? How can they find you? How do they find Ariel? Um, can you give us a little bit of handles or social media? Handles? Yeah, absolutely. You're throwing me some plugs right now. So, um, yeah, Jackson Canfield is my personal uh, full name and account. Jackson underscore Canfield. Jackson underscore Canfield, correct. C-A-N. F-I-E-L-D, just a can of the field. <laughs> uh, and then Ariel, uh, obviously, you can go uh, online. Uh, it's A-E-R-I-A-L. Um, if you're interested at all to check out the island, uh, feel free to contact me directly uh, via social media or whatever. Um, but it also has its own social media page at the Ariel BVI. Um, and so, yeah, any way that I can help, like I said, it's a, it's a space that's so unique for entrepreneurs, um, communities, or companies, or just individuals looking to to gather in a pretty awesome space. Um, just let me know, and I'd love to help. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for coming on. No, likewise. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy, and we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up but there's so many things that come up in between and my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal you can follow me on instagram at ephraim glick facebook at ephraim glick twitter at glick ephraim or you can go to the website at ephraimglick.com see you next time